Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, as we continue in our series, The Life of Christ, and uh, we are talking about the greatest family of them all this morning, Mark chapter 3. And so I just said the word, family. What comes to your mind? What is invoked in your conscience? What happens to your spirit when I say family? Family means different things to different people. We have the classic nuclear family. You got a dad, got a mom, got kids. There are single parent families, certainly here. There are blended families. I relate to that one. If you're in the military, there's a military family. That's a, that's a big time family there, right? But we're talking today about your spiritual family. The greatest family of them all. If you've been around the church or a church for any length of time, somebody has called you brother or sister, right? And if you're old enough, they might have called you dad or mom. And that's a legit thing too, 1 Timothy 5. The church is a family, and it's a big one. It transcends age, gender, race, cultures, languages, traditions, and methodologies. What's more, it is the greatest family of them all, and I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Now, do families quarrel? Yeah, we do. Yeah. But like Wiersbe says, if the church has a quarrel, it's a lover's quarrel. I like that. I mean, how would you like to grow up in Jesus' family? How would you like to be Jesus' brother or sister? It'd be a no-win deal, wouldn't it? And we, if you were with us last week, we saw that he had four, and they're named, we'll see them again, four brothers, stepbrothers. He had at least two sisters. It's a big family. There are at least seven in that family from Mary and Joseph. Actually, six from Mary and Joseph, and then Jesus. Let's get our theology right here. Amen? But Mary and Joseph learned very early on, and we saw this in our study, uh, Jesus wasn't just an exceptional kid. He was more aligned with another father than the one that had been temporarily assigned to him, right? Speaking of which, Joseph, by the time Jesus enters into ministry at 30 years of age, he is off the scene. He's never seen again. And almost everyone agrees he's probably dead. So, while Jesus loved his earthly family, remember when he died in the, uh, uh, on the cross, he, he, he thought about his mother and giving her over to John. He, he did love his earthly family. But he would make clear in his ministry and early on that he was creating something much bigger, much greater, much more beautiful, a much more beautiful kind of family. And last week we saw that Jesus, when he busted out into his ministry, goes into Nazareth, the place of his upbringing, you know, the backwater place, Nazareth, goes into the synagogue, reads the scripture, and they reject him as he 
applies the messianic Old Testament passage to himself. They try to run him out. On, they try to kill him. He didn't get much better reception from his own physical family, except that they didn't try to kill him. They were thinking straitjacket, though. Seriously. It, we're in Mark chapter 3, and at the very beginning, we're, we're told repeatedly that great crowds were following him. His ministry is swelling. He's doing miracles, and he's, he's teaching, and there are great crowds repeatedly were told. In fact, the crowds were so suffocating, verse 9 says, he kept a boat on standby just to get away from them all. But his enemies were swelling as well. In juxtaposition to the crowds that were following him, you had his enemies that were plotting, falsely accusing him. In fact, they couldn't deny he was doing miracles, so they said, well, you're doing it by the devil. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, which is basically what Jesus said. And by the way, you just blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're out of here. Jesus needed his family to comfort him, but he wouldn't get it from his natural one. And that's where we bring ourselves to the text itself. Chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home. Now, when you think home, don't think Nazareth. Think Capernaum. Capernaum was like his home away from home. 30 miles from Nazareth. Remember that. He's probably, or at least possibly, in the home of Peter. That was sort of the the home in Capernaum. That's where Peter was from. Now, back to the text. He went home, Capernaum, and the crowd gathered again so that they couldn't, they couldn't even eat. It's a packed house. It's standing room only. And when his family heard it, they went out to, what did it say? Seize him. The word means to arrest, to forcibly take. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. By the way, have you ever read that? This is what his family thought. He's out of his mind. The Greek word means to be outside of yourself, which is you know, basically what you are when you're out of your mind. And, it's a, and the tense here is in, it's the imperfect tense, which means they were constantly saying it. So think about this. He's in this house. It's packed out. He's in the midst. He's teaching. Along comes his family, as we'll see his mothers and his brothers, probably his sisters. They're saying, hey, Make way, make way. We got, to, we got to get to him. We got to get to him. He's a crazy man. That's what's going on here. Think about this. This is what Jesus had to endure. His family was on a rescue mission to save Jesus from himself. Now, over the years, whenever I've been beat up, metaphorically, I've never been physically beat up, came close once. I've always been grateful to be able to come home to family, particularly my wife, and be comforted. Jesus didn't have that. He didn't even have that. When I was first saved, when I first came to Christ, my family thought I'd lost my mind. They really did. My best friends thought the same thing. My parents and, uh, and one particular sister had a kind of intervention to try to get me back. Another sister confronted me harshly, and I had a brother take some material that I'd given my sister-in-law in front of everyone, whoosh, whoosh, ripped the whole book up in front of everybody. He was so angry at me. The rest of them just sort of pulled away. 
Wearsby writes, history reveals that God's servants are usually misjudged by their contemporaries and often misunderstood by their families. Would you agree? Some of you know this. I would even add, I would even add misquoted. Because when I first talked to my, my dear parents, I shared with them my salvation story, how I had, I had come to realize that I was a lost sinner, that Christ died for me and rose again, and that I trusted him alone, that only Jesus could take away my sins and deliver me from hell. And I shared all this with my mom and dad. And when it got back to my eight brothers and sisters, here's how it got back. Yeah, Pat was over here. He held up the Bible and said, "Uh, Mom and Dad, you're going to hell. I thought of David who said, every day they distort my words. So get used to it if you're going to be involved in passionately following Christ. Just the other day, and with this permission, I share this with you. I, I talked with Brandon. Some of you knew him as Bowie. Bowie sat right there 20 years ago, 22 years ago almost. As I preached an uh, Easter message, I, if, I could, if you could ever see God changing somebody in front of you, I saw it with my own eyes. I didn't see the Holy Spirit coming in or nothing. I don't want you to get, I'm not going weird on you here. But I'm telling you, it was evident that God was working on his heart. He was literally shuddering in his seat. And he repented of his sin right there, trusted Christ as Savior, was on fire for God, telling everybody about Christ, got a part, became a part of our college ministry, was sharing Christ with, with the little town that he was from. I was convinced he was bound for ministry and was meeting with him to that end, challenging him to pursue Christ with all of his heart. But he came from a very, very successful home. And his dad had plans for him. And when he shared with his dad, his father vilified his faith, mocked his direction, and threatened to take everything away from him right down to the keys to the car that he was driving if he abandoned his pre, the predetermined path he was supposed to take. And here's the deal. He was saved, but he caved. And for 20 years, by his own words, he was in a wilderness. Just like some of you right now, chasing the fool's gold of this world and miserable. All that money and success was dangled in front of him. And he took it. Jesus said, he who would come after me must hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, and his own life also, or he can't be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 26. You've read that, right? That's like, what? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Do you have that kind of dedication to your greater family, to your greater father, to your greater savior? I heard just the other day another story of a man wrestling with pleasing his parents who are opposed to him, taking up the mantle of the gospel and leaving the area. And as we speak, he's struggling over it, what to do. So 
here we have it. Jesus shows up. He's in Capernaum. He's in the house. His mom shows up. His brothers show up. His sisters are probably in, are probably in line as well. And we move it back into the kind of skip all the way down to verse 31. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Yeah, seeking. They, they came from 30 miles away. They were seeking. They were coming to take him away. Uh-huh. Now, we, if you were with us last week, those brothers were actually mentioned by name. I say it to you for good reason. They were James, they were Joseph, they were Judas, and they were Simon. And his sisters, not named. They're coming in. They can't get in. The place is packed. So they send word. Hey, we're out here. And you notice the next verse says, Jesus says, my mom and my awesome Leave a, set a path for them to get in here. He doesn't say that, does he? No, look what he says. He answered them. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about, the Greek says looking around. Picture him in the house, he's packed. They're packed like sardines and he's looking around. They're probably seated as he's teaching. And looking around, At those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What was Jesus saying? What was he saying? Here's what I think he was saying. I have a new, greater family. And I'm going to use this new greater family of mothers and brothers and sisters to change the world, which is exactly what he did. Now, I want you to imagine yourself. You're in that house. You are in that house. And Jesus is looking around. And you are there. You're on the floor. You're looking around. He says, here are my mother, my sister, and my brothers. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You're there. What are you thinking when he says that? Are you thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm his sister. That's me. I'm his mom. That's me. I'm his brother. Is that what you're thinking? Are you telling me? Are you telling me you think every single person in that packed house was a follower of Jesus? I mean, why else would they be there, right? That's why in this Life of Christ series, we're looking at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's a composite. We're also looking at what the others are saying. That's why we cross-reference. We, we, we compare the accounts. The Bible never contradicts itself, ever. But sometimes, oftentimes, it just confirms or gives greater knowledge. So picture the scene. They're coming in. Hey, your mom and your, your brothers are out here. And Jesus says, well, this is how Matthew puts it. Look how Matthew puts it. And stretching out his hand, so Matthew adds that. Here's my mother and my brothers. Looks almost the same, doesn't it? Except Matthew says, towards his disciples. 
Matthew's specific. Mark doesn't tell us this. Jesus wasn't saying everybody in that house was a follower of his. He knew better because he knew every heart in that house. But he knew his disciples, and he alluded to those. No doubt some of them, women as well as men, and said, here's my mother, here's my brother, here's my sister. Jesus never assumed ever that all that were around him were true followers, any more than we assume it here. I'm pretty sure many of you are not followers of Christ. And watching online, he certainly wasn't motioning to his brothers who were making their way in. He said, how do you know that? Because when in John's gospel, Remember, these are the guys that grew up with Jesus. At the Feast of Tabernacles, his brothers said, well, you're up here in Galilee. Why don't you go down to Jerusalem? You're going to make yourself known. You know, you're Mr. Cool, healing everybody. You're not being consistent. Go down there and show yourself, Jesus. They mocked him. They chided him. They, they, they accused him, at least implied that he was being inconsistent. Why would, why would they do that to him? John tells us why. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Without exaggeration, hundreds of times over the years, up to just recent days, those who have come and found Sailorville Church to be their home because you've trusted Christ as your Savior, because you've moved into the area for whatever reason, somehow God has brought you here, We hear this repeatedly. Why do you come here? Because I know when I'm here, I'll not only hear the word of God preached, but I'll every every time will hear the plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ presented so that people can be saved. Now, why do we do that? Because we want to be more people, more like Jesus. And Jesus never assumed. So much so, imagine if you would, that epic moment, we'll, get, we'll preach on this a different time. When Jesus takes out of a sack lunch, he, he feeds 5,000 people, probably closer to 10. Feeds them all. And then he says, you're, 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 you're following me because your stomachs are filled. He said, look, I'm the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no life in you. And if you'll remember, it's, they, they respond, they, this is a hard saying. And by the hundreds, by the fifties, the hundreds, and the thousands, they start leaving. And the, when the dust settles, the only ones left are his disciples. Do you remember that? And Jesus looks at him and goes, are you going to check out too? And Peter says, Lord, why would we do that? You have the words of life. You say, well, that's pretty cool. Jesus knew who his real followers were. But notice Jesus' next words. Didn't I choose you 12? Here it is. Yet one of you is a devil. He couldn't even assume it amongst his own disciples. So why would we? We're talking about being in the greater family of God. Parents, if your child 
is constantly resisting spiritual things, remains cynical, dead, dull, uninterested in spiritual things, constantly doubting, or worse, mocking or murmuring, they, they probably just haven't truly believed. On the other hand, moms and dads, whether you're dedicating babies up here like others or, or, or they're older, don't lose heart. You're in good company. You're in Jesus' company whose family had a front row seat to his life and didn't believe in him. As parents, as parents, you remember Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Remember that. And while God uses our efforts to raise our children, it does not guarantee their salvation. We trust in Him, not in our efforts to save our children. Amen? That's why I said a few weeks ago, those of you who think you got saved because you prayed a prayer, I prayed a prayer. I, that's why I, you are woefully, woefully mistaken, deceiving yourself. A, praying a, formu, a formula-like prayer doesn't save anybody. Now, when we realize we're lost, that Christ died for us, we express that in prayer, and we repent of our sin, and we trust him as our Savior. If that's a prayer, and it should be, praise the Lord. But don't trust the words, the verbiage, the pray, the prayer. Trust Christ and teach your children to do the same. You can't force them to be saved. But don't lose hope. If your kids are wandering, if they're not saved, don't lose hope. Jesus' brothers, his own brothers, they mocked him, they chided him, they, they thought him a lunatic. And yet, after he died, after he rose again, after he ascended into heaven, after having spent 40 days with his disciples, and just before the Spirit of God descended on the 120 that would change the world, Acts 1.14 says this, And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and what? His brothers. The gospel would eventually convert them. And so James, I mentioned, wrote the book of James, was an early leader in the church, and Judas was Jude, who wrote that little postcard in the back of your Bible before the book of Revelation that I wanted to write you about our common salvation, but I've seen evil men. They're creeping into the church. They're, 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 doing, they're wreaking havoc, and I'm, I've got to tell you to stand up for the faith. That was Jesus' half-brother. They were radically changed, just like your prayer is that your children will be. So mom and dad, don't lose heart. Mom and dad whose children have not yet believed, the Lord is still working. May he who keeps you on your knees comfort your word soul, hear your many prayers, and save your wandering child to become a part of the greatest family of them all, the family of God. Amen? Are you in that family? Are you in this family?
You say, well, I'm here, aren't I? That's not what I asked. Have you truly repented and from your heart believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for your sins, and with all of your heart trusted him as your savior? And if you're one of those in this room or watching online, you've been following the fool, you've been chasing the fool's gold all of your life. You know it's not going to give you satisfaction. You know it's not going to give you joy. Two years ago, God got a hold of Brandon's heart and brought him back. Philippians 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in him, he who begins a good work in you, will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're confident of that. That Brandon claims that truth. And he has a message that he wants to give all of you. And he's asked me to give this. Don't waste 20 years of your life choosing the easy path. It might be easy, but it will also be miserable if you're a true child of God. Because if it isn't miserable, you're not a Christian. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child whom he receives. Amen? Choose, Brandon says, the joy of committing your life to your greater father and your greater family, where you'll receive all of the encouragement you need in the bumps of life. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for the story of Christ. And Lord, we're thankful for the reminder that even his own family rejected him for a time, thought him a crazy man for a time. Lord, I don't know what everybody in this room thinks of Jesus or the gospel, but I'm asking you by your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of those who don't really know you. And you know who you are, those of you watching online too, you're not truly born again, you've been a part of a church or you've attended, you prayed a prayer, nothing ever happened, you, your heart was not changed. But maybe you would like to come to know the one who left heaven for you, lived a perfect life for you, who bore your grief, who carried your sorrows, died on a cross and rose again. Would you trust him right now? And if you're that wandering individual like Brandon, you're out there chasing fool's gold. You're, you're starting to learn that all that glitters is not gold. And you would be sorry. And like Brandon, you want to come back out of your wilderness and walk with Jesus again. Just hang out with the greater family. Just tell them that. You're sorry and you want, you want back in. He never disowned you. And if you're a parent and you have a child or children, they've heard the truth, but they've rejected it. They've wandered off. They question everything. 
and it breaks your heart. God knows that. Jesus experienced that. Cling to him and don't lose hope. The truth that you have sown will not return void. And God, I pray that you would hear the heart's cries of all these moms and dads, not just the ones who have little ones, but some that have older and their hearts are broken. And give them hope today because you are the God of hope. And we pray these things in the name of the one who writes our story. Even Jesus, we ask. Amen. Let's stand.